Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And I think this is episode 120 or 130 something. So we are definitely getting up there. We are chatting today with Andrea McAdow, who is the owner of Rosebird Farms, a certified naturally grown farm located on two acres in the high desert of Northwestern Arizona. After starting her career in civil engineering and construction management, Andrea began farming to explore her passion for working with nature and serving her community. Rosebird Farms grows produce and cut flowers for their CSA and year-round farm stand. They also work with other regional farmers and value-added producers to aggregate and distribute a full line of local products through Mojave County. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. So chat with us. Uh, you know, you started with a very different career. Talk to us. What made the change from civil engineering to farming? Yeah. So um, my past life, I had worked in construction management for um, a larger general contractor in the Boston and Las Vegas area. Um, we had moved out here for my husband's job to um, the Southwest. And uh, I've been working up in Las Vegas. He was making the commute, um, ended up getting a job down here in Kingman, Arizona, about an hour and a half south of Las Vegas, just for a little geographical reference of where we are. Um, And I was working uh, for a general contractor here and kind of felt like um, I was ready to to start my own business and um, change things up a little bit. And I was really interested in, you know, gardening and being outdoors. And I started my business actually at doing gar- uh, garden consulting. In uh, that, I, I was doing some marketing at the farmer's market here and brought some of the produce that I had just grown out of my small little thousand square foot garden and uh, quickly realized that people were much more interested in the produce rather than the actual consulting side. So started to make the shift um, and started really small with just a little eight member CSA. And we've been scaling up since then. Um, And we do pack about 50 to 60 boxes a week for our CSAs with um, about 100 members rotating in and out each week for, you know, weekly, Mm biweekly sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right. So you started, kind of grew. Talk to me about when did the storefront come into play? Was that right from the beginning or was that a little bit after you started? So that was a little bit after we started. Um, I had approached my now business partner, Sarah, who had a storefront downtown Southwest Trading Company. And I just wanted to do a little pop-up in front of her shop. I knew we had a similar um, clientele and those were people I was trying to reach. So I had asked her out for coffee to just discuss a little bit. Uh, we ended up talking for an hour. She actually ended up buying the coffee for me as is uh, yeah. her kind of her kind heart. Uh, so it was, it was funny, but we hit it off, um, did a pop-up. You know, We kind of became friends and uh, she was moving into a new space and uh, asked me if I wanted to just have a corner of the shop. And, um, 
yeah, so they kind of, she, she kind of talked me into it and, uh, you know, it was, it wor- it's been working out great. So that's kind of how we got into it. And we also have one other business partner with a similar, uh, similar clientele, similar business ethics mindset, uh, who does skincare. So we all kind of bring in different people and are able to offer, um, you know, a wide array of products for people. All right. So uh, this is a downtown in like a storefront. And uh, what was the, what was your, your strategy of getting traffic in to start with? Yeah, so we had had uh, Sarah's business had been established for a while, uh, but we are um, right off Route 66. So parallel, you know, one block away, which is a big tourist destination. So we get people that are tourists, um, but we also, um, you know, do a lot of outreach with the community. We do some workshops getting started. Um, and we also really tried to, when we were starting our business, create a little lot of hype, um, you know, started our social accounts a few months out, kind of gave the process of getting started up. Um, and yeah, so we also bring in partners, partner with other lo- local small businesses to still do some pop-ups and bring in different people um, and uh, try to reach people that way as well. Okay. Now, and you have that as a staffed, um, it's staffed regular business hours? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So we're open um, six days a week right now. Okay. Now for the staffing, do you have training to tell them what to do with the the different vegetables and the flowers and that sort of thing that you offer? Or is just um, more about just general customer service? Yeah, so we, I do do um, some training with the new staff um, to the business owners, staff, um, the shop for us uh, four days out of the week. And then we have two young women who um, who staff at the other days. Um, but we do some onboarding with them just to make our displays look nice. Um, and I also try to do, um, you know, a bigger farm stand on days that I can come in um, and really set it up and, um, you know, make it look great. Uh, and other days of the week, we have a limited amount just in a, in a cooler that we restock um, as it as it dwindles down. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's kind of exactly how we're set up is the cooler. And then, you know, on certain days we have bigger displays when more people are visiting. Yep. Yeah. All right. So now for advertising of that, have you done like Facebook ads or it's just kind of organic? And again, you said your partner in there had, you know, established business as well. Yeah. So I, um, for a while I was running like a, you know, a $1 a day, uh, Facebook ad, which, you know, just seemed to be bringing in, um, you know, getting more, more eyes on our page and it was affordable for me. Um, and then we also, um, yeah, so we've, we've done that. Um, and just constantly trying to put events out. Uh, Facebook is really big in our community specifically. Uh So there's a bunch of different Facebook groups that are really active in the Kingman community. So we try to make sure we're posting on there and, you know, monitoring for any, anybody asking questions about produce, um, things like that. So we're trying to hit, hit those people and get the information out that way as well. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm oversharing, like, I don't know. I just feel being respectful of those groups sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so have you like, talk to me, like, do you get complaints in there or how do you deal with that? Or, you know, do you post daily or like once a week in there? What's kind of like been the schedule for that? Um, I wouldn't say daily. Um, I think if we have like, you know, there's like a big special going on, mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll share things. There's also a downtown, like what's going on downtown group that we, um, we'll share regularly. Um, probably, you know, 
three or four times a week, but it helps, you know, having the different businesses. It's not all, it doesn't look like it's all just coming from the same business, even though they're all coming to the same place, which mm-hmm. that's helpful as well. Um, but yeah, so it's, you know, it's uh, definitely, yeah, not trying to spam people with it, but, you know, really sharing the things that um, you really want people to get out there and see. And I feel like uh, videos always do well too. If you're doing a live and walking mm-hmm. around, that always seems to, to capture people's attention uh, more so than just a, a post about a sale. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, we find that our live videos do incredibly well and that mm-hmm. actually people will say, oh my gosh, I saw your video and I came down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they like the, the live videos tend to get much better reach than recorded videos. Um, the problem is I like to get the kids in the videos because that really works well, uh-huh. but with live, it's so one take. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> you never uh, know. Plenty. Yeah. Some, yeah. uh, I got to leave some room for bloopers. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the four and the six-year-old. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, that's really cool. I'll, I'm going to start doing a little more posting in there and, and, uh, and see how that works. I think that's going to be, I think that, yeah. Cause it seems like people always love the videos and stuff, but, um, I just feel, you know, too bad with the too, too much in there. You know, it's awkward too. I feel like with the lives, it's like you, you want to just kind of get your information out and sign off, but sometimes it's like, you kind of just linger around and people will pop on and ask more questions. And, um, yeah. that seems to work. Like I, I kind of tried that this week and it seemed to work and actually draw a little bit more attention. So I guess it's just, uh, just not popping on and off, uh, does help as well. Well, I think too, because what I found, and I'm kind of thinking from the like the customer's point of view, is that you know you get on, you show them around, but then uh, new people pop on, mm-hmm. and if you end right there, then they like don't get to understand. So I end up kind of doing running through what's going on. Then I kind of will like answer a question or talk about something. Then I'll do another run through, and if yeah. I still feel like I have good engagement, sometimes I'll do a third run through. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. So let's talk about your production because obviously we've kind of we jumped right to the sales um, and but let's talk about like your production. You do a lot of flowers. Talk to us a little bit about the flower production. Yeah, so we do we do both flowers and produce. Um, flowers are probably uh, like I'd say like a tenth of our um, of our production. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, I do think they draw in different people and they seem to be one of those things that people come back for. And then they're also great for driving sales, like around, um, Valentine's day, um, you know, mother's day, those seem to be really big holidays where I try to kind of focus my production around. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been good, especially, you know, when, when you just have tend to have like, you know, just greens when you don't have like the hot items, like tomatoes and then cucumbers, like get some new people in and get them to, to just buy some flowers. That's always a good way to, to get, to get things going too. Interesting. All right. So you just said there that they tend to buy more flowers around the holidays. Mm-hmm. And we experienced that exact same thing <laughs> as a brand new, we, we, you know, we've done vegetables in the past, you know, large scale, but this is like our first year of actually doing some significant flowers where it's mm-hmm. not just sunflowers and, you know, Memorial day and then July 4th weekend. I mean, we sold right out. Yeah. Yeah. We could hardly keep it many, as many. Um, and is that because they're buying for their parties you think, or gifts or. Yeah, I think it would be gifts. Um, and yeah, it seems like they're usually buying for someone. And then there's also the people, you know, who are like maybe spending the holiday alone. They're like, I just want something beautiful to, to mm-hmm. hang out with. So. Mm-hmm. So in your environment, what kind of flowers do well? 
Um, so we have sort of a very Mediterranean cl uh, climate, mm -hmm. which means we have mild winters. Um, and I am moving towards almost all protected hoop house growing at this point um, with our with our kind of harsh climate. Um, so I do a lot of stuff overwintered. I do a lot of uh, ranunculus, anemones do really well here. Um, and then focusing on the summer months, doing sunflowers, um, zinnias uh, that love the heat, celosia. Um, and uh, let's see, in the winter too, do some different fillers that uh, don't take too much effort, like Bells of Ireland and Bee Balm seem to do really well for us. Mm. Okay, so then um, let's talk about, you know, 101 for people on these flowers harvesting. Um, what time of day are you harvesting? Uh, as early as possible. Um, usually in the winter when it's mild, it's I can kind of do it whenever. Um, but yeah, definitely in the summer months when I'm, um, you know, dealing with hundred plus degree temperatures, trying to get super earlier in the morning or after the sun goes down in the, at night, um, they just, you know, have a lot more, uh, life to them. And so we try to get them when they're looking really good. Okay. And then you harvesting directly into water. Yes. Yeah. We bring our buckets right out with us and, um, cut them and then put them in the cooler from there. Okay. And then, uh, what kind of buckets do you use? Regular five gallon buckets or even a specific one you like? Yeah. Um, so I do five gallon buckets. I also, every once in a while, if I'm in the grocery store, which I, um, luckily don't have to go to too much anymore, yeah. but, um, I, uh, will just stop at the floral, um, section and just ask them, um, if I can just have any leftover buckets, usually they're happy to give them to you. Um, and then uh, actually we work with, uh, we do at one of our distribution points for our CSA is a brewery and a, and a pub. Um, so they, I just got the hot tip from one of our other farmers that he asked, uh, asked them for their pickle buckets and uh, just the five gallon buckets that they're getting rid of. And they're actually a green color that seemed to hold up better in our sun, so. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we've got, we got a line on some really cheap square four gallon buckets, mm -hmm. but the it's kind of, they're kind of tight. And so you can't fit that many flowers into them. Gotcha. So that's kind of one of the things we've been like, we need to find something different. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, it takes uh, the buckets take a lot of space. So having shelves in your cooler are nice and it's always, but they're always kind of the, the round awkward shape is, uh, mm -hmm playing around with those and getting able, being able to store as many as possible is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So do you use like Metro racks or something to store flowers or? Yeah. Yeah. We do. Uh, we have just the, like the Home Depot Chrome racks, um, in our cooler. Um, and then we'll, um, just yeah. those are nice cause they're adjustable too. So if you have taller flowers or shorter ones, you can, you can move yeah. them around. So can you do things like dahlias down where you are? Yeah. So this is actually my first successful year with Dahlia is doing them in the hoop house. I had okay. tried to grow them in the field before. And, um, once the heat came, you know, it was just like, they got fried spider mites came in. So, mm -hmm. um, my first, yeah, so they're looking great this year. I, um, amended my, uh, soil really well with uh, goat manure that I was able to get. Mm -hmm. Um, and they've been looking good. I do have about 30% shade and, um, just keeping them really d deeply watered and they're doing great. Okay. So lots of water. Now, did you plant them directly into the ground or did you start them in pots inside and then bring them out? Um, so I did start, uh, just put some tubers directly in the ground. Others I've actually, uh, what that I was able to save from previous years, or I was able to buy in, I propagated, um, rooted them inside, uh, got them going in little two inch pots and then potted them out, um, early in the mm -hmm. spring. 
Yeah, we tried to do that. We did a larger pot and we, because we were trying to take cuttings because we're trying to propagate, you know, mm-hmm. our supply as much as possible. And we really, I need to probably research this more because we had really bad problems. Um, we lost maybe about 10 to 15% didn't even germinate for us or didn't Oh even, man. Yeah. I, and I know that seems to be, that's super high, especially with the cost of tubers. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's why I like to do them inside too because I like yeah. to make sure they're they're actually you know viable before I put them in the ground. But I've I've had better luck using like a really good seed starting mix. I and mm-hmm. that seemed to help. Um, but it's it's tough getting the moisture levels right so they don't just rot right off the bat. Yeah, because I think your goal is is to keep them pretty relatively dry. Mm-hmm. And you obviously want some moisture there, but it's relatively dry for that first bit until they you know start to really put on growth. Right. Um, yeah. And then that's, the, yeah, absolutely. Hey, Michael here with another tip from Harvest Host. And Molly, talk to us how, how do people become a Harvest Host? Super simple. Um, all we need is for host locations to commit to having enough space to host at least one RVer overnight. So it's one overnight stay. And then we also ask that our um, host locations have products to sell. So that's all we ask from the host location moving forward to get you set up. It's a quick application, kind of highlighting your contact information, the size of RVs that you can handle, the number of spaces. We set you up with a host profile. You're able to control contact information for your business, photos of the property. If you want to highlight your social media pages to you know, further increase awareness of your brand. But then also we have an online reservation tool makes it super easy for you to decide when you want to be open for these overnight stays, if you have to black out dates for special events, and then approving and denying or declining any stays that you're just not ready for. So we really put kind of those decisions in the host's hands, but in order to get started, we just need overnight space. Absolutely. And then why do people want to do this? I mean, the biggest thing is additional revenue if you have an on-farm stand or someplace to sell on-farm products. Yeah, that's really it. You know, I think around $13,000 annually is what our well-established hosts see in additional revenue from our members. So whether that's, like you said, the the stands that our farmers are using to sell product from other vendors in the area, if it's a winery, it's tastings, bottles of wine, cases of wine, it's traffic that you wouldn't see in your general business practices. These are RVers that are going across country, trying to find a safe place to stay overnight, but they are encouraged to spend $20 minimum Mm -hmm. at host locations when typically they spend it around $50. So it's both that additional revenue and then also just increasing awareness um, nationally with your brand by having people who live all over the country stop by, bring that revenue back to you, and then hopefully kind of spread the word on your location moving forward. Absolutely. Okay. So then the, the flowers is like a 10, 10% of what you do. And are you selling those mainly straight or always as mixed bouquets or? Um, so what we used to do, um, you know, when we were kind of casting a wide net, when we got started, we mm-hmm. were doing a little bit of event work. Um, right now we've cut that out pretty much completely. Um, and I, even the mixed bouquets, I pretty much cut out. I do mostly straight bunches. Um, but I think as we add, um, you know, add a few more employees here and there, we'll probably start doing the mixed bunches again. That seems to be what people really like. Um, but I think the flowers, if you grow bigger focal flowers, like we're focusing on right now, do really, they do, do still do pretty well in a straight bunch. Mm-hmm. Okay. So interesting that you said cast a wide net. Talk a little bit more about what you meant there. Yeah. So um, like I mentioned, when I got started, I didn't necessarily intend on doing the farming. So um, Kingman didn't really have too much of a an established um, 
you know, market for local food. There's a few farmers um, that are just really awesome people, but it's just not enough to really meet to the demand. So I kind of started just trying different things to see what people were really looking for. Um, so we did, like I said, a little bit of event work, um, you know, we did more flowers um, in the past. And then, you know, I did some um, different, a different kind of CSA model where it was, you know, just, um, just whatever we were, um, you know, just like the same thing for everybody. Um, and now we've kind of um, gone to uh, just doing our, like, not just doing our, but uh, doing a um, CSA that's uh, more customizable, mm -hmm. which seems to be working for people who, for an area that's not quite used to the CSA model. So, um, but yeah, we've tried a bunch of different things, a bunch of different crops too, just to see what would actually work out here mm -hmm. on that side. Um, because there's, like I said, there's not a whole lot of agriculture going on. So, um, kind of had to figure out what works well for us in our system and what doesn't. So, um, and now we've kind of narrowed it down to on my farm, I grow, um, like I said, the flowers, but also mostly greens, roots, and then in the summer do uh, a lot of cucumbers, tomatoes, squash. Um, and then we partner with other farms to uh, bring in the different variety of stuff um, and a lot of fruit, um, which people really love, but it's harder to get that, that kind of um, uh, production yeah. established. So um, yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of focusing on what we do well here and then partnering with other people to bring in a wider variety of stuff. Yeah, we found, you know, I think that's the key that at the beginning you know, that first one or two years is going to be doing a ton of different things just to mm -hmm. try a bunch of different stuff, especially depending on where you are in the country, like upstate New York, they wanted different things than they want down here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Down here in Ohio, half runner beans are like a local thing. And uh, they're these, again, they're not as big as a green bean. They're half the length of a green bean. They're a vine crop and people want them by the bushel. Hmm, I've actually which, never heard of them, <laughs> which actually makes them incredibly hard to and expensive to produce. Uh huh. But because of our local clientele, they want them at dirt cheap prices. Uh, so it makes it like <laughs> it's one of those things you're like, okay, how do we position this? Um, yeah. So we can still make money on it because, you know, charging. And again, last year, because of the pandemic, people, um, we're charging as much as $150 a bushel for them and people were paying it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but now with basically things being a little bit back to normal, those kind of prices we can't get. I mean, like when we're charging $6 a pound for green beans, which are you know a lot easier to pick, and now you're looking at a 40 pound bushel. Um, and then you're like, okay, we have to pick something that's harder and they want it only at a bushel. So yeah, it's one of those things where we're trying to figure out how do we make this work? And we try not to buy stuff and we try to produce as much as possible on site because mm -hmm. we have this land, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, yeah. So it's just playing around with that and trying a whole bunch of things and seeing what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, keeping your market in mind is a, a huge yeah. part of that too. So another thing you said was you, they like a semi-customizable CSA. Um, are you using specific software for that or how are you managing that? Yeah. Yeah. We use Harvey right now. Okay. Um, and that's, I mean, it's nice because I can put in, uh, you know, everything I have available to harvest and then um, talk to 
um, my different people that I partner with and um, get an estimate from them, put it in and uh, people can go that go through there and basically almost like grocery shop, they get a, you know, they get their base box and they can go in and swap from there. Uh, but we're also able to add in um, like eggs from a local farmer, uh, ground beef and uh, broth bones from one of the, uh-huh. our ranchers here. Um, and then I do carry some different uh, value added goods from people around the state, um, jams and jellies, honey, stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then is that all kept in inventory at the store and then you're able to just pull it from there? Yeah, we're trying to kind of figure that out right now. So I do keep it. So that's pretty much how it works right now. I do keep a small amount of stuff that I know that goes regularly in the CSA at the farm. Um, but we are going to be building um, a new wash pack and hopefully have a better system for keeping some inventory on the farm as well. Yes. Yeah. Because I find that obviously holding inventory costs money. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've been able to do a consignment with some people where they pay, they hold it and then we just pay them for what we sell. And obviously we take a lower margin, but it's not tying up money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's uh, luckily, I mean, man, we, we got really lucky with where, I mean, granted we did not buy this property for agricultural uses when we bought it. Uh, we've kind of just been making it work, but it, the location is great where we're only eight minutes, eight to 10 minutes from the shop. So mm-hmm. um, if I do have to ever run down there and get something, it's, it's pretty close. That's nice. Okay. So you are certified naturally grown. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I decided right off the bat to go certified naturally grown. Um, for me, it was just about transparency and just building trust with people um, so that when they asked if it was organic, I could give them a good answer. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's been great. It's grassroots. There's a much lower barrier to entry as far as costs and um, inspections. Inspection wise, they do a peer inspection. So it's also kind of great for networking and getting to meet other people, um, getting to check out their operations and and seeing how they do things as well. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great kind of organization. And, um, I've been uh, like being certified naturally grown. <laughs> yeah. Now, how do you tell your customers, talk to your customers about that? Cause I know you can't, you can't say I'm certified or, you know, I'm organic. So how, what's the language you use around that? Yeah. So I basically tell people it's like organic for small guys or like organic, mm-hmm. but more uh, in a grassroots level. And basically just talk about no, the main things, no, no spraying pesticides, no using, um, synthetic fertilizers. Mm-hmm, no um, GMOs. Yes, exactly. So that's just, I kind of hit on those main things and uh, they usually drives the point home. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's say, um, you know, how many years you've been farming now? Um, so we started really small scale in 20, the end of 2018. So okay. I still feel very much as a novice here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so talk to us about the relationships with the other farmers. I know you're bringing in product. Um, how do you talk to them about that? Do you try to, you know, share amounts that you're interested in, or is it more like, you know, we're just going to see how it goes and it's just what they have available? Yeah. Um, it's so luckily, um, the farmers I do work with, I mean, they were, um, one of, uh, one of the guys, Mark, he was, you know, right out of the gate was super welcoming. When I came to the farmer's market, I think he's been encouraging me for, since day one. And Brittany, who's um, down in Fort Mojave, which is a little over an hour away, super encouraging, awesome people. But, um, yeah. I, and then I work with another one here in town, Adam, um, but just basically talk to them, see what they have available, um, and kind of judge with, 
with their prices what I think I can market up to to be able to market to my community. So, um, and they talk we talk a little bit like a bit ahead of the season too what um, I might like to buy and see, um, but it's still kind of informal at this point. Um, and then I'm working with some newer um, farmers. One of my business partners, Alex, who does the skincare is also starting up her mushroom operation, which is okay. really exciting. Um, so that's really cool. She's, she just uh, built a nice big grow room for those. Um, it's, uh, it's coming along really great. And then I'm working with some other friends who are starting up their operation. I'm going to kind of help with their crop plan and um, I'll end up pretty much marketing the bulk of, of what they have um, too. So it'll just kind of be an extension of almost an extension of our farm, but just kind of, you know, working together really closely with them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now you're also doing a lot of work with SNAP and EBT. Talk to us about how you made that work. Yeah. So that has been um, really awesome for, for us and our community. Um, we work with a group called Pinnacle Prevention. They do uh, Double Up Food Bucks Arizona. So um, anybody who uses SNAP EBT gets 50% off of fresh produce. Um, so we've been able to actually use that in our CSA so people can pre-order boxes and the CSA model. Um, I mean, they something that would normally cost them 29 will cost them 1450. Okay. Um, so that's really been great for helping to get people, um, um, food that way. And yeah, it's been, um, man, we probably have like, you know, between the, between uh, week to week, five to 10 people that do it with snap EBT. And then we probably have another, you know, five to 10 people that come in, but that's a few hundred dollars in sales a week. So that's been um, really great. And it, for us, I know my food is more expensive, especially in a small town. So it's nice to be able to kind of bridge that gap and, and meet people where they are as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what are your prices on like uh, different things? Do you have some examples you can talk about? Um, yeah, yeah. I would say like, there's definitely a market from the grocery store. So tomatoes, four to $5 a pound. Let's see, like my, my greens mixes that I do uh, normally like $4 a bag for um, a four ounce bag of spinach. Mm-hmm um, try to be in the 12 to $16 pound range. Um, and then just bunches of roots, you know, usually three to $4 a bunch, depending on how big and and what kind of time of year it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So in your couple of years, what would you say the keys have been to your success and growth? You know, what kind of uh, lessons have you learned along the way? Um, I think, uh, on the, the, the business marketing side of it, I think really building those connections um, with people um, because, you know, just making people, people feel good about the decision they're making. Um, mm-hmm. And and then, you know, you, you go out of your way to do something nice for people every once in a while and they're going to tell, you know, everyone they know about it. Um, so that's been really great. Um, but then also, I mean, just on the farming side, <laughs> perseverance, because out here it's pretty brutal um, being in the high desert. Um, so, you know, just perseverance and just keeping co- constantly thinking of ways you can improve um, and just knowing that, like, you know, there, there, are, there it is possible to grow here. You just got to kind of change, flip the uh, flip the switch a little bit, because I did. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, where completely green, beautiful, you know, it's pretty easy to grow there. So it c- took me a while to, to adjust to being in the desert and uh, understanding just how different it was, and especially with the growing seasons. Um, how much, how much different that is where we do, you know, the bulk of our stuff in the winter and take more time off in the summer. Yeah. Now, do you have a team on the farm or is it just you? Yeah, I have, um, on the farm, I have two team members. Um, my sister who, um, actually 
by happenstance ended up in the agricultural world, um, came out here to visit during uh, the beginning of the pandemic, and I uh, coaxed her into staying for a while. So she's been um, kind of been our distribution manager, um, doing deliveries for us, helping pack CSA boxes. And then I have one other young woman uh, who helps uh, uh, do our wash pack, get everything ready for CSA and helps man our farm stand and, and uh, CSA pickups. Very cool. Now, do you have like a, a training system for them, like with the SOPs or it's just been training them on the job as they go? Yeah, we're, we're working on that right now. So um, kind of figuring that out uh, as far as like individual vegetables. So it, on our off season right now, um, we're sitting down to figure out more of that. So we have more consistency across the board, um, especially as we're planning to scale up our growing area right now, um, just so we had those uh, kind of nailed down, but not super established. And we're kind of working to the, together now to, to get that established as we're a small team still. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, what would you share with folks that are thinking about getting started in farming? Um, yeah, I would say um, probably, you know, feel it out and take it slow um, and just really get a feel for your property, um, your market. It takes a while and knowing that it takes a while to really get established. Um, yeah, that's uh, just just managing your expectations up front, I think, is really important if you want to be in it in the long haul. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today and coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. And I can't wait to share this with our audience. Thank you very much, Michael. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.